<clears throat> We're in Ezekiel 48. We're going to look at all 35 verses in this end chapter. There are many strange and peculiar names of cities in the United States. I uh, did a quick web search. Knock'em Stiff, Ohio. Slaughterville, Oklahoma. Burns Down, South Carolina. Frankenstein, Missouri. I don't know if I'd want to go there. Goblin Town, Virginia. <clears throat> there's a Looneyville in both Minnesota and New York. And there's a place called Tightwad, Missouri. There are a bunch of towns with hell or devil in their name, such as Devil's Den, California, and Half Hell, North Carolina. Not whole, I, wonder, I don't know if there's a whole hell somewhere, but there's a half hell. Now, some U.S. cities have changed their name over time. San Francisco, who knows what San Francisco was once called? Yerba Buena. Austin, Texas was once called Waterloo. That's right. Who said that? <laughs> Free coffee. St. <laughs> Paul, Minnesota. You'll never get this. It's just what? Everybody knew that. Oh, it's on the no. It's not. That's it. I'm cutting you off. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start doing. If those of you don't know it, it's in the notes that you. If you have a, a real phone, an iPhone, you could be reading that right now. So you're supposed to follow along, not get ahead. I don't even need to be here. But anyway, <laughs> Ezekiel ends his remarkable prophecy by letting us know that in the future millennial kingdom, Jerusalem will have a new name. In the very last verse of the book, it's called Jehovah Shema. Uh, and that's why we're calling our study Shema Wow. Get it? Sham Wow. Yeah, it's there. On the way there. We're going to see the final distribution of Holy Land to the tribes of Israel. So let's start with the inheritance of the seven, uh, seven of the tribes in verses 1 through 7. Now these are the names of the tribes from the northern border along the road to Hethlon at the entrance of Hamath to Hazar Anon, the border of Damascus, northward in the direction of Hamath. There shall be one section for Dan from its east to its west side. By the border of Dan... From the east side to the west, one section for Asher. By the border of Asher, from the east side to the west, one section for Naphtali. By the border of Naphtali, from the east side to the west, one section for Manasseh. By the border of Manasseh, from the east side to the west, one section for Ephraim. By the border of Ephraim, from the east side to the west, one section for Reuben. And by the border of Reuben, from the east side to the west, one section for Judah. Now, what we learn here is that all of the tribal portions will extend across the breadth of the land from east to west, making a series of parallel tracks. And so if you were looking at a map, you'd see these tribes from north to south, and they'd each have a strip of land going from east to west in the redistributed Holy Land. Uh, and so these tribes are listed in order from the northernmost and then going south. The division of land is very different from that in the time of Joshua. It takes into account 
the new geography created by the ravages of the Great Tribulation, as well as, we'll see this a little bit more later, you remember when the Lord returns to the Mount of Olives, He creates a new valley running east to west because the mountain uh, breaks in two at His coming. And so the geography of the land is going to be different, the physical geography, and then it's going to be distributed to the tribes in a very orderly uh, way, in a tract-like way. Uh, you know, the, it, God is a God of order, uh, and um, this is very, very much line upon line. Now, in verses 8 through 12, we learn that the temple will be in the tract just south of these seven tribes, more or less in the very center of the new holy land. <clears throat> Verse 8, by the border of Judah, from the east side to the west, shall be the district which you shall set apart, 25,000 cubits in width. And in length, the same as one of the other portions from the east side to the west, with the sanctuary in the center. The district you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width. Now, we've mentioned this before, but uh, it's just a very interesting fact to me. It's noteworthy that the millennial temple will therefore be in a different location than the former temples or even the tribulation temple. And so now... Today, everybody, um, you know, is concerned about the Dome of the Rock and the exact place where the uh, first temple and the second temple and Solomon's temple and all that were where they were located. And is that the real location? And how are the Jews going to build their temple and all of that? Uh, and as important as that is, maybe right now in the millennium, it won't be important. Uh, with the Lord on the earth, the temple will be in a completely different location. It won't be tied to that. And it's going to be right in the center uh, of the redistributed Holy Land uh, with the tribes all around it. Now, the priests are going to have their portion in this tract surrounding the temple. Verse 10. To these, to the priests, the holy district shall belong. On the north, 25,000 cubits in length. On the west, 10,000 in width. On the east, 10,000 in width. And on the south, 25,000 in length, the sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the center. It shall be for the priests of the sons of Zadok, who are sanctified and who have kept my charge, who did not go astray when the children of Israel went astray, as the Levites went astray. And this district of the land that is set apart shall be to them a thing most holy by the border of the Levites. Translating through all this, it seems that, uh, we'll read about it in a minute, but the tract for the Levites seems to be north of the one for the priests and immediately south of the portion for the seven tribes. So you've got the seven tribes that were listed in verses 1 through 7, then the Levites, then there's the temple area with the priests uh, all living surrounding it, and then we'll get some more of the tribes after that. Uh, now remember, every uh, priest had to be from the tribe of Levi, but not every Levite was a priest. Uh, and we've referenced this several times, but because of an incident way back at the time of David, uh, when the sons of Zadok, Levites, were loyal to David at a time when other Levites were not, God promised them that in the millennial kingdom they would be the priests. Uh, they would be the priestly line that would serve in the temple. And so we see uh, that that is going to come to pass. And so God always keeps his promises. Uh, and, and that I think we know that, don't we? Uh, but we struggle with that. I do. Maybe you don't. I do. You know, because God makes some marvelous promises, and we don't always see them. 
you know, as clearly as we ought to. We see through a glass dimly now, and, and sometimes we, we misunderstand exactly the promise. So often we take promises to be physical and material, and uh, God says, this is all passing away, That's, uh, this is temporary. You don't need the physical and the material promises that you think you need. What you need are eternal and spiritual promises, and, and those will never fail. And so uh, God, looking down you know, the corridors of time, is saying, I am going to keep my word to the sons of Zadok. Uh, verse 13, opposite the border of the priests, and this would be north of them, between them and the seven tribes, the Levites shall have an area 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width. Its entire length shall be 25,000 and its width 10,000. And they shall not sell or exchange any of it. They may not alienate this best part of the land, for it is holy to the Lord. The Old Testament Levites were scattered throughout the land. They didn't have any portion of their own. When they were not serving their course in the temple... They could be among the people as teachers and counselors. In the millennium, they are going to have their own tract and they will remain in proximity to the temple. And so the administration of the Word of God and the teaching of the Word of God and those kinds of things will be different uh, when Jesus is actually reigning on the earth. I think we quoted a few weeks ago how that the, the knowledge of the Lord will be everywhere and so there will be less need, as it were, for the Levites to be scattered all through the Holy Land uh, you know, because all of the Jews will be saved and um, they will have their own portion. The location of the city is next in verses 15 through 20. The 5,000 cubits in width that remain along the edge of the 25,000 shall be for general use by the city, for dwellings in common land, and the city shall be in the center. By the way, this reads like the general plan of, of the city. You know, if you've ever looked at those things and, and tried to figure out zoning and all of this. I mean, God is just giving this. This is the way it's going to be. And it's all very, um, you know... Um, geometric too you know it's all this by this and exact measurements and and i mention that because still there are people who you know they struggle with the literality of this or the literalness of this and they think well you know a lot of what you read especially in the old testament in this section it's just it's just uh, you know uh, allegorical it's just symbolic it's not really going to happen and 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 yet god goes to great Lengths to give you absolute detail. He gives you actual measurements. And so uh, I think, you know, when, when God wants to be allegorical, it's pretty obvious. Allegory, metaphor, illustration, typology, all of those things are in the Bible. Uh, but he's describing here the general plan for the city and the area of Jerusalem and the temple and the tribal lands. Uh, and, and this is the way it's definitely going to be. Verse 16, then shall be its measurements. The north side, 4,500 cubits. The south side, 4,500. The east side, 4,500. And the west side, 4,500. The common land of the city shall be, to the north, 250 cubits. To the south, 250. To the east, 250. And to the west, 250. The rest of the length along the district of the holy section shall be 10,000 cubits to the east and 10,000 to the west. It shall be adjacent to the district of the holy section. And its produce shall be food for the workers of the city. The workers of the city from all the tribes of Israel shall cultivate it. The entire district shall be 25,000 cubits by 25,000 cubits four square. You shall set apart the holy district with the property of the city. Now remember, as I said, that at the Lord's second coming, 
The Mount of Olives is cloven in two, creating a valley that runs from east to west. We learn that in Zechariah 14, which says in verse 4, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half of it toward the south. The city will be situated in a magnificent position on the north side of this great valley, uh, hence the verse that speaks of its beautiful situation. Beautiful for situation. Remember, there's a song, that, uh, and that's all I remember of that. I was going to sing it to you, but, but uh, is the city of the Lord. And so, uh, you know, a lot of times, you, if you're one that looks at maps, I got in trouble one time, I have to admit, I was in the sixth grade. I thought I was really smart because I was smarter than my brothers. Uh, but that wasn't hard. But, uh, no, I'm just kidding. I thought I was really smart, and so we had... Um, and, and I, th- I still think this was discriminatory, but, uh, you know, back then, you know, society was different. And, and so the teacher wanted to break the class up into groups, you know. And it turned out there was going to be a smart group and a dumb group, only the dumb group wasn't called the dumb group. It was just called, well, I don't know what it was called, but we called it the dumb group, you know. And so, and so, uh, this, so they gave us an assignment. We had this assignment to do. And so I, I did the assignment, everybody did the assignment, and then they broke us into groups based on who looked back at the reference maps that were talked about in the reading that we were doing. And of course, why waste time doing that? Uh, you know, and so I didn't do that. No one had taught me to do that. I feel like it was their fault and it was an unfair test. Uh, but as a result of that uh, moment, I was in the dumb group and it did, uh, really did wonders for my self-esteem. Uh, at the time, and uh, I, I think I've recovered. Uh, I really do. Uh, if you look at maps, uh, which I still didn't look at a map today, but anyway, uh, the idea here uh, is that you, you can't tell what the Holy Land is really going to look like in the future based on its elevations today, because all of that is going to be different. Uh, now, there's mention of the workers of the city Uh, laborers, it says, from each of the tribes will come and work the land. They'll have sort of a farmer's market kind of a thing, it seems, uh, because they're going to uh, have produce that they share. Uh, It reminds us that there's nothing wrong with work. Uh, Adam and Eve worked the garden before the fall. Now, we don't know how long it was before they fell into sin, but God gave them work to do. It was the the weeds and the sweat of the brow and the toil and all that that came in later uh, that made it difficult. And so there's nothing wrong with work, and we as Christians, obviously, we're to do our work as unto the Lord. Uh, now, people do everything they can to make work as hard as possible. Have you noticed that? Uh, it, sooner or later, maybe you've got an, a dream job and everything's going well for you, and maybe it will for the rest of your life. God bless you if that's the case. You, you can give a testimony later. But uh, for most people, there's going to be a, a job or an employer or a company or a fellow worker. There's going to be something that's going to make your life absolutely miserable at some point. And, and that's why we sometimes get the idea that work is, is terrible and you know, all this kind of stuff. Work itself is not bad. It's what sin has done to work. And so in the millennium, lots of work. People think, you know, I get to, of course, we're not talking about heaven. This is just the millennium. But they think, well, there'll be nothing to, what are we going to do, sit around and play the harp? Hey, tell you the truth, I would love to play the harp. Have you ever seen a person who can really, like, jam on the harp? I mean, that's something. You know, I, 
I guitar, I'd love to play guitar. You know, I could sit and jam on the guitar all day if that's a, you know, if I got to heaven and God said, I want you to, you know, play guitar all day. I'm down with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but there's going to be real work to be done and it will be glorious. <clears throat> now, David, the Lord's prince and co-regent, he's going to have a section of land. Verse 21. The rest shall belong to the prince on one side and on the other of the holy district of the city's property next to the 25,000 cubits of the holy district as far as the eastern border and westward next to the 25,000 as far as the western border adjacent to the tribal portions. It shall belong to the prince. It shall be the holy district and the sanctuary of the temple shall be in the center. Moreover, apart from the possession of the Levites and the possession of the city which are in the midst of what belongs to the prince the area between the border of Judah and the border of Benjamin shall belong to the prince. Uh, a couple of times this is called the holy district. I kind of like that. You know, today we, different cities have different designations, you know, uh, for different places in the city. You know, whether it's just downtown or it's certain district or certain area and stuff. Uh, in the millennium, we're going to say, hey, what are you going to do? I'm going to the holy district. I'm going to go down there and, you know, get as close as I can to the Lord and stuff. And this is what people will be excited about. Uh, the prince's portion seems to be on either side of the city, if you were drawing this out. According to one calculation, the tracks for the Levites, the priests, and the prince, and the city measure 60 square miles. The city itself will measure 12 miles in each direction, or 144,000 square miles. And so it's all very ge- uh, geometric, it's all very kind of you know, squared off. Um, God just seems to be into that sort of shape. If you look down on the tabernacle or the temple, you know, the way it's set out is a big rectangle with the, you know, the temple, you know, in the middle and, and all, uh, and the city is going to look very much like that. Now, next comes the land allotted to five more tribes. Verse 23, as for the rest of the tribes from the east side to the west, Benjamin shall have a section. By the border of Benjamin from the east side to the west, Simeon shall have a section. By the border of Simeon from the east side to the west, Issachar shall have a section. By the border of Issachar from the east side to the west, Zebulun shall have a section. By the border of Zebulun from the east side to the west, Gad shall have a section. By the border of Gad on the south side toward the south, the border shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah by Kadesh along the brook to the great sea. This is the land which you shall divide by lot as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel, and these are their portions, says the Lord. I just love the, um, I mean, it works out that way geographically, but where he mentions Kadesh, because you remember it was at Kadesh Barnea that the children of Israel way back when said, yeah, we're not going in. Uh, our spies came back, you know, we're... You know, God has promised us the land. We're out of Egypt. The Egyptian army has been wiped out, ready to go into the promised land. They sent in the spies. Ten spies come back and they say, man, you can't believe the size of the grapes in there. It's like Selma. Uh, you know, it's the raisin capital of the world. And, so, and, and Jacob, or Joshua and Caleb, let's go. Let's get it on. Let's do this thing. And, and the other ten guys... They're giants in the land. They're going to smash us as if we were grasshoppers and, you know, that kind of a thing. And, and uh, the ten prevailed and they didn't go in. Uh, and God said, hey, yeah, you know what, you guys, you're not going in now. You don't want to go in, you're not going in. This whole generation is going to die except for 
uh, Joshua and Caleb. And uh, then they said, no, no, we'll go in. Gee, we didn't understand the terms. I mean, you know, it was like, we have a right to rescind or something? You know, let's go in. Then they go in, they get wiped out and, you know, and stuff. And, and so uh, here, uh, you know, if you're a Jew... Um, not that you don't have to be a Jew to really appreciate things, but if you're a Jew and you read the word Kadesh, it, it reminds you of that tremendous failure uh, of, of your uh, ancient people uh, and all that that failure has entailed uh, and how God is going to be faithful when we have been faithless and lead them into the land. It's going to take a long time uh, you know, from, from that time in history thousands of years ago until this future time, long time from our standpoint, you know, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But, but that's how God deals with human beings. I mean, the heart is precious to Him, and, and He brings the heart of man along, uh, and and you know develops it and reveals Himself. And it, from God's point of view, of course, He could do anything, but He takes time with the human race to do things right. And and here, especially if you're a Jew in exile in Babylon at this time, and your your city is destroyed, your temple is destroyed. You have no nation. And God says, well, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is a disaster for sure. Uh, it, it's, you know, but you've, been, you've had disasters before, but I am still going to fulfill my promises to you. Uh, and so just hang in there. Now, ingress and egress to the city will be through the gates described in the next set of verses. Verse 30, these are the exits of the city on the north side measuring 4,500 cubits. The gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. Three gates northward, one gate for Reuben, one gate for Judah, one gate for Levi. On the east side, 4,500 cubits, three gates. One gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, one gate for Dan. On the south side, measuring 4,500 cubits, three gates. One gate for Simeon, one gate for Issachar, one gate for Zebulun. On the west side, 4,500 cubits with their three gates. One gate for Gad, one gate for Asher, one gate for Naphtali. Now, the gates are named after the 12 tribes, but there are some differences between the tribes mentioned here and in the preceding passage. Here's one suggestion by a commentator as to why that is. He says, in verses 1 through 29, the tribe of Levi has a special inheritance area, and Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, are both given tribes. In the new holy city, however, the gates are named for people more than for regions, because everyone, whether of the priestly tribe or not, has access to the city as symbolized by including all 12 of the original sons of Jacob in the naming of the gates. In other words, it is the tribes of, Le- of Israel, excuse me, not the tribal territories of Israel that have occasioned the names of the gates. Joseph's name therefore appears where Ephraim and Manasseh would have if this were a list of territories. Levi's name appears where it would not be listed in a grouping of territories since they never had a strictly tribal allotment. And so um, I don't think there's anything mystical about the differences in the tribes. Uh, and no one knows for sure, but this is, this are the names that are going to be there. Finally, we're told that the city itself will have a new name. Verse 35, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be The Lord is there. The Hebrew is Jehovah Shema. In the Believer's Bible commentary, William MacDonald says this. He says, This name reminds us of what was always in the heart of God. He loves His creatures so much that He always planned to have them close to Himself. He is ever searching, asking, Where are you? Calling to repentance and faith. As Son of God, He even came down to earth to die for us. His wish will be fulfilled 
Man will be close to his heart. We can engage in and participate in his search for the lost even now while living close to his heart here on earth. This is God's desire for us. In his commentary, Charles Feinberg says this, The incomparable prophecy began with a vision of the glory of God and it concludes with a description of the glory of the Lord in the glorified city of Jerusalem. Ezekiel concluded with God dwelling with man in holiness and glory. Beyond this, there is no greater goal of history and God's dealings with man. And so God came searching for lost mankind immediately in the garden and he's been searching us out ever since. Now, uh, where will we be during the millennium? A lot of talk here about Israel and the tribes. Uh, Dr. J. Vernon McGee says this. He says, I rather think that at the rapture, uh, the church will be brought to the new Jerusalem. I believe this city is to be our permanent home. I think that during the millennium, it will be a matter of commuting back and forth from the earth to the new Jerusalem. If that is indeed the case, the city whose builder and maker is God, where Jesus has gone to prepare our heavenly mansions, will hover over the earth during the millennium like a satellite. And then after the millennium, when there are new heavens and a new earth, it will again hover over the earth and remain our home. And so from there, I mean, it's kind of comical to say it this way, but we will commute to our work on the millennial earth, uh, you know, and, and uh, kind of like the Jetsons used to, you know. Verse uh, 6 of chapter 20 in Revelation says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, that's us, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And, and that's uh, Revelation 20, which is the chapter that talks about the millennium in the book of the Revelation. That's a reference to saved individuals of the church age who belong to this first resurrection. Uh, we will rule and reign with Christ. Exactly what we'll do, I don't know. Uh, doesn't really matter. There will be lots going on on the earth as, as the Lord restores and replenishes the earth. Lots of non-believers to share with. Uh, and uh, lots of different things to do. Um, uh, the first resurrection is a reference to, uh, you know, all those who were saved. Uh, they, this is what confuses people. Sometimes they think that there's going to be one general resurrection of everybody from the dead, and that's not really true. Uh, Jesus rose from the dead. He's the first fruits of all of those who would ever rise from the dead. And then um, there will be the resurrection of the church age saints and the rapture. Uh, they, from our point of view, they happen at the same time, but there's actually a time differential because the dead in Christ rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to heaven to be with them. Then there's some other resurrections. Tribulation saints need to be raised from the dead and uh, such like that. All those who are saved are a part of the first resurrection and it happens in different stages uh, throughout human history. There is one general second resurrection. It is the resurrection of the damned. That happens in Revelation chapter uh, 20 as well, when all of the lost individuals from all of time are raised from the dead to stand before God's white throne. Their names are looked for in the Lamb's book of life, but because they're, uh, they died without trusting Christ, their names are not found there. Their names have been blotted out of that book. Uh, and they are uh, cast into eternal judgment. And so, so whenever you're, it, 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 sometimes it, it gets a little confusing. 
Uh, but remember, first means first in order. It doesn't mean that it all happens at the same time. There is a, an order, a chronological order to the first resurrection. It takes place over time. There is one final second resurrection uh, of the lost. Now, from the New Jerusalem, we are going to commute to Jehovah Shema. And throughout the millennial earth, we'll be spreading the joy and justice of Jesus Christ uh, in righteousness and in peace with no more tears in perfect glorified bodies, no temptation. Um, it's something definitely to look forward to. Amen.